0: Habakkuk, chapter 1, and verse 1. Habakkuk, chapter 1, and verse 1. The burden which Habakkuk, the prophet, did see. A burden is that which is heavy to bear. Such is Habakkuk's message to the people. He has serious and weighty words of judgment to pronounce upon the nation of Judah. For wickedness is rife right in the land. While Habakkuk here is, of course, called to be a prophet. Any Christian, one who is, of course, not called to preach, but any Christian should have a burden concerning the rebellion against God taking place all around him. We are all called to be burdened about the plight of the lost and the rebellion against God in society. This is a vital aspect of our service to Christ. To be burdened. Because it is only as we are burdened that we resolve to pray and to work that the world might see its sin and turn to God through the gospel. And so, we should not think that having this burden is incompatible with our personal Christian joy. Our personal joy and peace in believing, hopefully by God's grace, always remains. But the joy... Does not mean that it is wrong to be burdened. In fact, we should be burdened. Verse 2 O Lord, how long shall I cry and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence and thou wilt not say. Now, habitat here is longing for God's intervention. And we can see this in the plaintive nature of this verse too. Now, we must not for one moment think that Habakkuk is complaining to God here, that God has been dilatory. No man of God would pray like that. Habakkuk knows that God's providence is perfect in all its outworkings. Yet he is perplexed by the extended period in which the wicked appear to triumph. He has been praying long that the awful situation in the nation might change. And so he cries plaintively to the Lord, Will thou not hear? He knows that God does hear all his prayers. Yet he is troubled, that the righteous continue to be oppressed, and evil continues to go unchecked. He desires that the wicked, if they do not repent, might know God's righteous condemnation. Verse 3 Why dost thou show me iniquity? Cause me to behold grief. spoiling and violence are before me and there are that raise up strife and contention. Now Habakkuk is writing between 608 and 605 BC during the reign of King Jehoiakim, whose reign is doing the nation great harm. We read In 2 Kings 23 and verse 36, 2 Kings 23 verse 36, Jehoiakim was twenty and five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. Then we are told, he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. So, Habakkuk has to deal with a situation of ongoing God rejecting government. The corruption in Judah starts at the top. For example, on one occasion, when words written by the prophet Jeremiah were read out to him, Jehoiakim cut up the scroll on which the words were written. And he threw it into the fire, and he ordered Jeremiah's arrest. Such was his hostility to the word of God. And this hostility ran deep throughout Judean society. People were being oppressed, contrary to all justice. And there was no fear of God in the land. It was a desperate national situation. So you read in verse 4 here, Therefore the law is sacked, and judgment doth never go do forth. For the wicked that compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. The nation was involved in the worship of false gods. Added to that, there was general corruption and lawlessness within society. And there was no proper administration of justice. It was a desperate situation. And how all this grieves the heart of Habakkuk. Habakkuk's contemporary, Jeremiah, also had to prophesy against King And we have an example of this in Jeremiah chapter 22. Jeremiah 22, verse 13. We read, Woe unto him that buildeth his house by unrighteousness, and his chambered by wrong, that useth his neighbour's service without wages, giveth him not for his work, that says, I will build me a white house and large chambers, and cut him out windows, and to be sealed with cedar, and painted with the moon. And then Jeremiah goes on, verse 17, But thy eyes and thine heart are not up for thy covetousness, and for to shed innocent blood, and for oppression, and for violence, to do it. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, verse 19, he shall be buried with the burial of an ass, drawn and cast forth beyond the gates of Jerusalem. So we see what severe language the prophet Jeremiah uses towards this wicked king. And we learn there that Jehoiakim had been using forced, unpaid labor to have himself built a grand royal palace. He was oppressive, living out his life in defiance of God's law. And such defiance permeated the whole of Judean society. There will be awful consequences to all of this because God is not mocked. And this is such an important message for our own day. If there is a general ignoring of the one through God in a nation, the nation will suffer. That is how God's providence works. Verse 5. Behold ye among the heathen, and regard and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. To. God is bringing judgment upon Judah from among the heathen, so he's going to use other nations to judge Judah this is again how God often works. He uses other nations to judge a wicked nation. In this case, it is the Babylonians who are going to judge Judah. And this will happen in the lifetime of those to whom Habakkuk preaches. And what will happen will be more horrible than they could ever have imagined. And so, this is the situation that judgment is coming upon the whole nation. And therefore, we see that the nation is going to reap the consequences of all its rebellion against the Lord. We read in Acts 13 and verse 40, Paul says this, in the same vein. Beware therefore, lest that come upon you, which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, ye despiseth and wonder and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work in which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And so there we see that Paul, in Acts 13, is actually reflecting the words of Habakkuk, chapter 1. Uh, Paul is speaking in the synagogue at Antioch of Pisidia, And just like Habakkuk and Jeremiah, Paul is grieving over the rejection of Christ by his own countrymen. It's not wrong to have a national perspective. It's not unchristian to have a special concern about your own mission. Because that's what Habakkuk did, that's what Jeremiah did, and that's what the Apostle Paul did. Verse six for lo. I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. The Chaldeans is another term for the Babylonians. God is bringing them to destroy the nation and take it into captivity. We thus see that although the Lord is long-suffering with sinful men, they cannot presume upon his forbearance forever. Oh, looking for the Can we find the judgment may well come down upon a wicked nation or wicked individuals even in this life. Whilst the Christian message focuses much upon the final judgment, Uh, It does not say that there is no interim judgment. The Bible also talks about judgment in time. So individuals can be judged in time and nations can be judged in time. We must not present the judgment of God as something that is always only future. Judgment happens in time. The Christian, therefore, should not be afraid to speak out about the reality of God's judgment. And if society is characterized by particular sins, then the particular sins have to be named and confronted. Because that is the method used by the prophets. They name the specific sins. It's no use us going out to our unbelieving society and just saying repent of sin generally without describing what the sins are, because the world has no understanding of what sin is. And indeed, our present society have been taught to embrace a number of sins as actually being virtuous. So we have to explain to people what sin is. They do not understand if we just generally talk about sin. We must be specific. Now, Judah here is in a desperate condition and, and there's much violence in the land. There's no law and order. That is how bad it has become. Now, our own nation today has not reached such levels of violent oppression as Habakkuk had to deal with. But the seeds of dangerous social collapse are already well and truly sown. God's commandments in modern Britain are frequently cast aside as the relics of a less enlightened era. That is the general attitude today to biblical morality. Our society, for example, thinks that it can ignore the Sabbath day without any consequences whatsoever. They think that. But God is not not. There will be consequences for ignoring the Lord's day. Our society thinks that it can promote ungodly lifestyles on the grounds that times have moved on and people's understandings have progressed. And many in the churches are arguing like that. Governments now legislate to promote the very wickedness which the Bible condemns. Just as Habakkuk here was greatly distressed by what he saw in Judah, so we as Christians should be distressed by what we are witnessing in our nation. It is, in fact, one of the marks of God's true people that they are grieved and distressed at the rejection of God in the societies around them. No real Christian can rest content whilst their neighbours are rushing themselves into hell and bringing the nation under God's judgment at the same time. And when the nation comes under judgment, we, the Christians, will be caught up in that judgment. We'll not be exempted. We'll have a special protection, but we'll not be exempted from the mayhem taking place all around us. To grieve at the world's wickedness to weep over it, in no way conflicts with our own personal joy and peace in believing. Now, there are some who would argue that to bemoan and denounce wickedness is all so negative, and it will not endear any non-believers to the Christian faith. But we see from the example of Habakkuk here that we cannot shirk this task as Christians of weeping over wickedness. It is worth remembering how John the Baptist prepared for the coming of our Lord. He did it by calling on sinners to repent and by warning them of imminent judgment. And so, it's interesting that John the Baptist did not go around saying to everyone, be joyful! He warned them about the danger to sin. To expose the world's sin and unbelief is in fact very, very positive. Because it provides a necessary preparation for the reception of the gospel. Now personally, the Holy Spirit sustains and exhorts us as we walk through this evil world. But it is also true that before we get to heaven, We are called to fight a good fight. The Christian faith is not just all about our personal joy. There are things which are far more important than our personal joy. The state of the nation is more important than our personal joy. We are called to weep. Now we can weep over the nation and still retain a personal joy, and that's wonderful. But we must not go into the pietistic position of saying we want nothing to do with weeping and mourning. Let the world get on with it. I'm just going to rejoice in my salvation, let the world get on with it. That's not a Christian attitude. It is only through much tribulation that we enter into God's kingdom. It's only through fighting the world that we enter into God's kingdom. A Christian should never be an escapist, sitting in a quiet, comfortable corner and hoping that the nasty world will somehow go away. Christianity is not simply a means to promote one's own personal good feelings. We are called to minister to a lost world. As the hymn writer puts it, Christians seek not yet repose, cast thy dreams of ease away. Thou art in the midst of foes. Watch. And pray. So the believer is called to be a watcher. To watch means to stay alert for prayer. The Christian must be earnestly praying for the unbelieving world around him. A Christian is called to weep over the plight. Of the lost. The supreme example of this principle is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, who wept over Jerusalem. He grieved over all the rebellion which he saw. He knew that he was soon going to glory. He knew that nothing could separate him from his father's presence, but that did not stop him weeping and grieving and being distressed. Before the Lord reached his heavenly throne, he was engaged in grievous service down here on earth. We have the cross before we reach the crown. And if we try and go straight to the crown and avoid the cross, we will not get the crown. Our Lord first had to complete his Father's will before he entered into his Father's glory. He had to watch, work, and weep before The glory came. And so must it be with us. 2 Peter 2, verse 7. 2 Peter 2, verse 7. We are told here that God delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them Lot was in Bozum and Gomorrah. In seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Lot did not say, well, praise the Lord, it doesn't matter. He vexed his soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. He wept. In the face of gross wickedness, he did not say, never mind, I'm going to heaven. Even though Lot knew that God is on the throne and in control of all things, we are still told that he vexed his soul daily, having a deep burden the God-rejecting foolishness of his society. It is those who watch and weep who are also resolved to work for God. Because, precisely because, it is those who feel the desperate seriousness of the environment of unbelief which is all around them. So we are called to be weakers. Now that doesn't fit in, does it, with uh, modern entertainment style evangelism? But we are called as Christians to be weakers. Jeremiah thirteen verse seventeen. Jeremiah thirteen verse seventeen. My soul shall weep in secret places for your pride. And mine eye shall weep sore and run down with tears because the Lord's flock is carried away captive. Here we see how Jeremiah vexed his soul and grieved; His nation was being destroyed because of wickedness. He wept. He was called the weeping prophet. Now, he would have retained a deep personal joy and peace because of his own salvation. But that did not stop him weeping over his nation. He wept because he knew judgment was coming. Rather from being negative, his weeping was actually a mark of the Holy Spirit dwelling within him. Because the Holy Spirit causes the believer to be distrusted at sin. And the Holy Spirit causes the believer to have a burden for the lost. Jeremiah's weeping was an intrinsic part of his spirituality. It is as believers weep over their country that they then earnestly seek God's face and work to rectify the situation. We would have had no great 18th century awakening in this country if believers have not begun by weeping. Jeremiah grieved. He also preached the judgment of God. And guess what? Jeremiah was not a popular preacher. And that's why this church is not packed today because we dare to talk about sin and judgment. That's why it's not packed. If Jeremiah were the pastor of the church today, he would not have a large congregation. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 119. Verse 53. Horror hath taken hold upon me because of the wicked that forsake thy Lord. The psalmist was overcome with horror. He so his attitude is not let the world get on with it. He was overcome with horror. Verse 136. Mine eyes run down with rivers of water because they keep not thy law. The psalmist wept at lawlessness. Verse 158 of that time. I beheld the treacherous dealers and was grieved because they kept not thy law. And so here we see in that psalm a man of God grieving over the prevailing wickedness in his society. From his word we again learn how we as true believers today should be grieving. Pouring out our hearts to the Lord in prayer we should have a burden for our Christ-rejecting this. Romans 9, verse 2. Paul says, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He prayed for his own countrymen. Unashamedly. And he said he had a special burden for them. They were without Christ. You see, Paul's priority was not the pursuit of personal elation. That's not what the Christian faith is about. Paul's priority was to fight the good fight of faith and to confront the wicked ones. Paul went to the idolatrous city of Athens, full of false religion. Acts 17, verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city holy, given to idolatry. He grieved he wept. These people need the truth. He didn't say, oh, this is Athens, a wonderful example of multicultural diversity. No, he wept. Because they were following false gods. see, Ezekiel 9, verse 4, is again very relevant in this regard, Ezekiel 9, verse 4. Now this is God the Father speaking to God the Son, who is the man in the vision that the righteous, in court. So the Lord said unto him, Ezekiel 9, verse 4, speaking to Christ, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. So here in Ezekiel nine and verse four, we are taught that God the Son especially marks out as his own people those who weep and grieve at sin and unbelief this is how Christ identifies one of his own how are they weeping? at the godlessness in their society so like the prophet Habakkuk here we should have a deep burden for the nation in which God has placed us we should be announcing the inevitability of judgment unless there is repentance from sin and faith in Christ. Yes, of course, we possess personal joy at our own salvation. But before we get to heaven, we are called to minister to a lost world which is under the rock of God. We should be sighing and crying at the defiance of God around us. And that, of course, is why we put so much emphasis on open air preaching. Because it is only through that method that we can reach the most people in an unbelieving world. So please let us pray. The freedom to go. How can the open air will be quickly restored to us? We must be weeping over the nation. We should be angry. There is a place for holy anger. We should be angry at false teaching within churches. Because it's bringing dishonour to God's name. It is depriving men of a knowledge of the gospel. We have churches today prepared openly to condone sin. It is not Christian charity to remain calm and placid when wickedness is on the throne. Verse 6 This is what God said to Habakkuk For now I raise up the Chaldeans that bitter and hasty nation which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not fair. The Babylonians are coming because of the nation's wickedness. And so God says, addressing the nation in response to Habakkuk's prayer. The Lord is about to work in such a way that non- will believe it possible. What? The people of God, with their temple, fall to a foreign invader? That's impossible, they thought. But the Lord is going to cast off the nation and destroy the temple. In judgment, the Lord is bringing against Judah a fierce invader, these Chaldeans, these Babylonians, the people have affirmed God's mercy, and so God will now be glorified in their judgment. Now, as we Judah in Habakkuk's day, most people in our contemporary society continue to remain recklessly indifferent to the fact of coming judgment and furthermore they cannot see chastenings which are already taking place they cannot see or observe the rebukes of God which are taking place right now our task is to grieve over our God-rejecting society and our task is also to confront it we have to confront people with their sin and unbelief. It's an aspect of our Christian love, one neighbor, to confront sin and unbelief. And so we are called to be watchers, earnestly staying alert, so that we pray down the power of God to turn the nation round. We must be watchers. We must also be weepers, grieving over wickedness and the plight of the lost. And then we must be workers, doing all that we can to preach the gospel and bring sinners to Christ. So may the Lord help each one of us to be watchers, to be weepers and then to be workers. Amen.